Keep your Bibles open, though, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. We have a lot of uh, verses to cover, and we're going to be talking about this being bound in the Spirit, and there's six things that I'm going to share with you this morning that I want to close with a uh, little illustration with some chairs that I have up here as well. If you're here last week, we did the first part of this chapter, and we saw how God kept changing the directions of the Apostle Paul. He uh, wanted to go to Jerusalem. That was his heart's desire. And God kept saying, nope, not yet. I want you here. I want you here. I want you here. And, uh, well, he couldn't make it to Passover, so maybe I'll make it to Pentecost. And God just kept changing directions, zigzagging him all over Asia. So we pick this story up in verse 17. He now finds himself in the city of Miletus. And he sent to Ephesus and he called to him the elders of the church. So we come to this crossroads now of the Apostle Paul's future. He has sought wise counsel as we discovered last week time and time again. His close friends, his life group that traveled with him, they had been praying about this momentous decision. His spirit just so wanted to go to Jerusalem. But he's uh, patiently waited on the Lord. And uh, he's fully surrendered to God. And, And even if God never takes him to Jerusalem, he's okay with that. And now these elders from Ephesus travel as a result of Paul's request, they, they walk about 30 miles. They meet him in Miletus. And now we start seeing the resolution to Paul seeking the will of God. So hold on there at verse 17. We're going to come back to it. But we want to go down to verses 22 and 23. These are the key verses to this passage. This is the heart of the issue. Then we'll go back and look at some things before And, of course, the verses afterwards. Verse 22 and 23. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. So, a decision's been made. Paul is no longer asking for wise counsel about the future direction and purposes he's moving toward. He's now declaring, I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I'm not asking for your advice anymore. I'm not asking for your prayers. The decision has been made. I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now what does this mean to be bound by the Spirit? Now, in some translations that some of you might be looking at, in verse 22, the word spirit has a little s to it. It's not capitalized. If it's capitalized, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. And that is certainly the reference in verse 23. In some translations, it will have a little s. Now, the conclusion is going to be the same. But some conservative evangelical scholars think that this is a little s spirit That is a reference to Paul's spirit. That Paul had a will. He had passions and desires and dreams and aspirations. His little s spirit. And of course in verse 23 it's capitalized and all scholars agree. Now we're talking about the Holy 
spirit. But like I said, the end result is the same. So even if verse 22 is a little s spirit, Paul is mature enough to know that his spirit, his will, his desires has to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And what a wonderful thing it is, and if you've ever experienced it, when your spirit has obediently joined with the Holy Spirit to come together for clarity and purpose for your life direction. It's a wonderful thing when we hear from the Holy Spirit and we bind our spirit to His. So to be bound in the Spirit means that we are interlaced, we are tied to the desires of God. I like to think of this as the marriage covenant that we are, we are bound in. We have a mutual covenant we've made to each other. We've made vows to each other. We're in a covenant relationship with God now through Jesus Christ. Our life does not belong to us. It is not our own. Our spirit is not our own. It belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to Him as believers. We are glued. We are bound to His Holy Spirit. And so Paul declares, Guys, finally, I have received a word from the Lord. I am bound by His Spirit, bound by the Spirit of the Almighty God to go to Jerusalem. Now notice that Paul doesn't have a uh, complete picture of what this looks like. God has given him a little snapshot picture. God's not giving him the full video. He doesn't know everything that's going to happen on his way to Jerusalem or what's going to happen when he gets there. To be bound in the Spirit means that we start getting the snapshots of direction and purpose in our life. When we're not bound in the Spirit, life is like shooting a video with multiple retakes until we get it right. Are you with me on that? And a lot of times, God has to do His editing because we're not bound to His Spirit. And there's all these messes on the cutting room floor of God's will for our life. But Paul is obedient. He's bound to the Holy Spirit. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He's not sure what's going to happen there. He just has this little snapshot. But it has something to do with trouble and trials and afflictions. That's all the snapshot that he has. Now notice back in that phrase, verse 23. The Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city. See, Paul has been praying about this for a long, long time. Months, perhaps years. And in all those cities that God's had him zigzagging across Asia, he has been sharing this with mature believers. In every city, he's had elders praying with him. He's talked to them about this. He's been receiving wise counsel. And probably a lot of them have said, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem... There's going to be trouble. Not only will you be bound by the Spirit, you're going to be bound in human chains. So in every city, Paul has been discussing and getting wise counsel 
But now the decision is made. I'll bet a lot of those in his life group probably said, don't go. Don't do it. Some said, uh, well, if you go, be careful. There's bonds and afflictions. And there were a few, probably Luke, who said, if you go, I'll go with you. Uh, that, that's a spiritual friend right there, isn't it? I'm with you. So over the course of months, this is, decision has been made. But now I am bound in the Spirit. I'm tied to the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. God has spoken. And obviously the question we have to discuss today is, are you bound in the Spirit? Can you honestly say that you're bound in the Spirit right now? Has God shown you the next steps of His will and purposes for your life? I haven't even thought about praying about that. Forget the video, just the snapshot. What, what's the next step? Can we say for certainty that we are bound in the Holy Spirit? I want to spend some of our time this morning, and we're going to talk about six things, six maybe prerequisites to being bound in the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go back uh, in verses 18 and 19, and we're going to look at, at Paul's life and see what we can discover. Because I think there are things in our life that we have to do or we'll never be bound in the Spirit of God. Now, this is not a, an exhaustive list in, in Acts chapter 20. But these are some things that the Lord has shown Paul. And uh, probably by Paul's example, we should follow. The first thing I see in this passage is to be bound in the Spirit. If you're ever going to be bound in the Spirit, you need to be serving the Lord. Paul says in verse 18 and 19, when they had come to him, when these elders had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day I set foot in Asia, I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials which came upon me through the plot of the Jews. Paul was serving the Lord. Are we serving the Lord? I think if Paul had not been serving the Lord, I don't know that he'd ever been bound in the Spirit. He might have been bound in his human flesh and desire and done it anyway. But he was faithfully serving the Lord. And notice he says, I was serving the Lord with humility. Because our service to the Lord is never about us. We can never be bound in the Spirit if we're serving in the flesh. You know, a lot of us are serving. Sometimes we serve for show. Yeah, I kept the fifth grade today. They weren't too bad. <laughs> Stars in my crown. Sometimes we do it out of guilt. Well, somebody's got to do it. Sometimes it just makes you feel good. You just go home, you feel good. Hey, I, I did some service for the Lord. Or we think we're scoring points with God. That's being bound in our human flesh. That's not being bound in the spirit. 
This being bound in the spirit somewhere is wrapped up in our service to the Lord in humility. And Paul even adds, you know, tears and trials. Paul had distractions in life like we do. In almost every city that Paul visited, he had some sort of emotional rejection. Some people just didn't like him. He had financial crisis. Every few years, he got a new ruler in Rome. Oh, man, we got Nero now. Oh, wait, maybe he's better than Caligula. I don't know. I mean, all this stuff is going through his mind here, you know. But he says, I'm in a tough season right now. But the Apostle Paul never asked for a break from his serving the Lord with humility. He never said to the church, he never said to God, you know, Lord, I'm just in a, I'm in a tough season right now. I need to back away from some of my spiritual responsibilities. No, he served the Lord. And I think this is a prerequisite. It enabled him to be bound in the spirit as he was desperately looking for direction and purpose in his life. The second thing I think we can learn from Paul is not only did he serve the Lord with humility, he was teaching the truth of the gospel. Teaching the truth. He says, how I did not shrink. Circle that word shrink. I'm going to come back to it. He uses it a couple of times. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. See, Paul never forgot that the primary issue, the primary need of people was for repentance of sin and faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have time to go back and rehash the first part of this chapter, um, if you would maybe just go back and listen to it online, because we talked about last week, God hasn't called us to be guidance counselors for people and fix people's problems, because a lot of times people will come to us, they're very open, I'm having this problem in my marriage, my kids are out of whack, these might be a neighbor, somebody that you work with, a friend you haven't talked to on the phone, and, and we're always trying to just fix their problems, well, have you read this book or, or this book? God's called us to be spiritual guides to help people see the need for repentance and trust in Christ as Savior. That's why I taught you that phrase last week. Can I ask you a personal question? Have you repented of your sin? See, the real issue of your marriage is have you repented of sin and asked Christ your Savior? Nothing gets solved in life until salvation happens. And this is why we spent last spring... Uh, in a study called Walk Across the Room, we've spent the last five weeks, one by four, um, in our life groups learning how to share our story and learning how to share God's story. This enables us to be bound in the Spirit of God and for God's Spirit to use us in declaring salvation to the world. A third thing I think we can learn about this being bound in the Spirit is we see that that. Paul was fully devoted to the kingdom of God. Fully devoted. Not partially, fully. Notice down in verse 24. I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course in the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. There he goes again. He was sold out. 
Paul didn't consider his life of any account. His life was all about Jesus and it was all about other people. And we can't be bound in the Spirit when we're partially devoted. This is an all or nothing attitude toward the things of God. And he reiterates this in the following verses in 25 and following. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore I testify you or testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men for I did not shrink there's that word again from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. And so he reiterates that he's fully devoted to the kingdom. He's preached the kingdom. Furthermore, he says that he's innocent of the blood of all men. You know, when I was just first reading through that, my, my first thought was, well, you're not innocent of the blood of all men. You were there when Stephen was stoned. But he found the grace of God through all that. He's been forgiven, so that blood's not on his hands. He's talking about something different here. He's talking about this commitment to the kingdom of God to boldly share repentance and faith to Jesus Christ to everyone that he comes in contact with. And if you had ever met Paul, you would have heard the gospel. He did not shrink back from declaring the whole purposes of God. This word shrink is a, it's, it's a nautical term. It's a sailing term. It was used on ships when they would begin to let their sails down, when they would fold them down. They would shrink their sails. The purpose of that was to slow the speed. But when it came to Paul, he's saying, I am full sail ahead. I'm not letting down the sails. I'm going all out for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when people who met Paul would stand before the judgment seat of God, none of them were ever going to be able to say, well, Paul never told me this. There was no innocent blood on his hands at all. He had been faithful to share the gospel with everyone. I am bound in the spirit. To go to Jerusalem. What does it mean to be bound? Let's rehash that for a second. Serving the Lord in humility. Teaching the truth of the gospel. Being fully devoted to the kingdom of God. Now. After sharing his story. His declaration that he is bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem. He addresses these elders from Ephesus. And he charges them with three responsibilities. I, I see them kind of maybe as a, a second set of prerequisites for being bound in the Spirit. Now, as we talk about these verses, the proper interpretation of these verses is it's talking to elders of the church and taking care of the flock, the church. I'm going to spend very little time on interpretation. I want to spend a lot of time on some application here. So for these next uh, few moments, I want to talk and address to the men in our church, men in particular. Because the application is, as our pastor has often said, you are the pastor of your home. You are the elder of your home. 
Now, ladies, you have influence as well, so take good notes. Don't, don't tune me out. Single moms as well. Grandfathers, grandmothers, patriarchs, matriarchs of the families. Take good notes, but I want to speak to the hearts of our men this morning. Because in addition to being bound in the spirit, we have some responsibilities before God. And the first thing Paul says to the elders is, guard yourselves first and also your family. Verses 28 and following. Be on guard for yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one of you with tears. The interpretation is, that just as an elder of the church is to guard himself and the flock of God, the application is, as men, we have to guard our hearts, ourselves first, and guard our family. That's the application. Gentlemen, as your soul goes, so goes the heart of your family. And in the culture in which we are presently living, we must guard our families. In fact, he talks about savage wolves who, who uh, even come from our own families. Are on the prowl and are attacking our families all the time. Guard yourselves first. Be on alert. Now, how can we guard ourselves first and then our families? I think we get a clue uh, in these next few verses. And that is to live daily in the Word. I don't know any other way, guys. I, I simply don't. And Paul says it right here plainly for us in verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace. The Word, the Bible. What's it able? It's able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Guard yourselves first and then your family. The elders of the church are to be daily and regularly in the Word. This is how they guard themselves first. And then our elders, because they guard themselves first in the Word of God... He gives to them, he gives to the local church an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. That is, the local church reaches out to unbelievers and people receive salvation. And then there's the sanctification of all the believers who come. The application for us men, husbands and dads, Build yourself first. Get with God on a daily, regular basis. Guard yourself first. Be in the Word. And I think there's a promise here 
so that God will give you an inheritance of a godly, sanctified family that you have guarded well and led well with integrity. Does that make sense? And the third thing I see here, or actually the sixth, depending on how you want to count. The way I'm going to phrase this is, uh, make material goods serve God's purposes. Make your material goods serve the purposes of God. So notice what Paul says. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. Does that, that seem odd to you? I get the silver and go, Paul says, I haven't coveted anybody's clothes. I suppose in every generation, clothes is, is a status symbol. How you look, how you dress. So apparently it wasn't, and even in Paul's day, you know, I, I, I don't have the designer toga, but, uh, you know, I'm living <laughs> among you. I guess it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and our depraved hearts. Wow, where'd you get that fig leaf? You know, that, that's pretty neat looking. Can I have one like that? Paul's declaring here, I haven't coveted these things. And you yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I love Dave Ramsey. I love Financial Peace University. I'm so glad that our elders offer that to you and to our community uh, once or twice a year. Um, Brent and I, we've gone through it twice. There's probably a third time we're going to go through it. But one of the basic mantras of Dave Ramsey you know, that I got out of it, he may not say it like this, but my takeaway from it was, you tell your money where it's going. You don't let your money tell you where it's leading you. And that's why you do the budget and you get out of debt and all of that. You tell your money where it's going. Don't let your financial situation tell you what you have to do or what you've become chained to. Be bound in the spirit. To do that, we have to be unbound from material things. And so Paul declares here that his heart was not to encumber the local church in Ephesus. He didn't want to be a burden, a drag on the church financially and for its ministry. And we know from Paul's many journeys, he wasn't afraid to ask for money or resources to do the ministry of God. But here in Ephesus, you know, we know he was a tent maker. He must have really stepped it up a notch. And he worked as a tent maker, not only to take care of his own needs, but even his staff. So that the church at Ephesus would not be encumbered to him, but so that he could be a blessing to the church to do the ministry in that community that God had called them to do. That's the gist of what he's saying. So he says, I, I didn't covet however people lived. I was modest in my lifestyle. I was master of what God gave me. I worked hard with my own hands. I want you to do that. I want to be an example 
Because God has a heart for ministry and for the weak. Who's the weak? Probably the poor, probably those who are hurting, probably those who are suffering, those who had all these problems. And Paul was wanting to pour resources into all of those things. But he always shared the gospel, remember, because he's innocent of the blood of all men. Yeah, I want to help you out, brother. But this financial crisis you're going through is not the big deal. The answer is you need to repent and receive Christ as Savior. And so he's encouraging these elders here to make material goods serve the purposes of God. Men, we've got to do the same thing. And our children have to see it and understand it or they're going to be very confused. And even quotes here, Jesus, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Every benevolent agency I know will quote at least this verse. <laughs> I read some liberal commentaries this week. And they go, oh, this, this, this isn't original with Jesus. Aristotle taught it. Sure enough, you go back. Aristotle talked about it's better to give than receive. But you read it in context. It is so arrogant with this air of superiority. We need to help these people. And so we need to do this because they can't help themselves and blah, blah, blah. I mean, it's nothing to what Jesus is talking about. It's because we're bound in the Spirit so that we can share with them repentance and the salvation and the purposes of God. So what are these responsibilities, men, we have? These other prerequisites for being bound in the Spirit. We are to guard ourselves first and then guard our family. Live daily in the word. Make material goods serve God's purposes. Then he closes this out. When he had said these things, I'm going to come back to that in just a second. When he'd said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them. And they began to weep aloud. They embraced Paul. They repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they were accompanying him to the ship. Well, that's tough. This is saying goodbye to a good friend that you won't ever see again. What a tough situation for Paul and these elders of Ephesus. And yet with deep prayer, deep affection for one another, they got through this separation. They got through this transition they got through this departing, trusting in this being bound in the Spirit. So when Paul said these things, what are those things? Well, let's remember them again. Serve the Lord with humility. Teach the truth of the gospel. Fully devoted to the kingdom of God. Guard yourselves first, but also guard your family. Live daily in the word. Make material good. Serve God's purposes. Men, as our soul goes, so goes the heart of our family. Got three chairs up here. I want to just close with an illustration. It's not mine. Bruce Wilkinson has done this three chairs for the last 
20 years or so. You can go on YouTube and just look it up. He spoke to men's group times and times again, promise keepers when that was in full bore. And I'm going to try to condense about a 60-minute teaching into about three. He goes back to the time of Joshua and says that when Joshua died, Joshua had served the Lord with his whole heart. Remember he said, choose for yourselves whom you will serve, but as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. And he goes through the history that after Joshua died, the next generation came along. And while the elders who had served with Joshua were still alive, they served the Lord, but but things kind of went downhill. The commitment wasn't quite there. And then that gave rise to another generation. And we read this throughout the book of Judges. There was a generation who did what was right in their own eyes. So we have a generation here who is bound in the Spirit. Who are fully devoted to the Lord. They're committed. They love the Lord. They've repented of their sin. They've made Christ as their Savior. They serve the Lord. They're active in church. They reach out to their family and their friends and people that they work with to share the gospel. They're not perfect people, okay? Because nobody's perfect. But they serve the Lord. They know the works of God. They've seen the miracles of God. They know the Lord. But sometimes if we're not careful... This generation may know of the Lord, but maybe not all the works and miracles of the Lord. Now, if you grew up here, if you grew up under a family like this, you became a Christian. You repented of your sins. You accepted Christ probably at an early age. But the problem sometimes happens when we're not bound in the spirit. We, we kind of lean on the faith of this generation. But we begin to compromise. And our real goals in life become monetary. And they become, it's about our career. It's about moving forward. It's about having the right house and the car and all that. Now, now these folks, they go to church. Some. They fight with their wife on the way to church. And then they get out of the car and pretend everything's just fine. We don't need re-engage. And this generation sees this. They know the Lord. They know about the Lord. They know not the Lord. This generation that some of us are with us today, studies are saying it's only between 5 and 15% of millennials are born-again believers. They've rejected a lot of this. Yeah, they, they saw... Going to church, they learned some of the Bible stories, but they didn't see the consistency of it, and they've rejected it.
These guys were daily in the Word. They were bound in the Spirit. They weren't perfect. These men read their Bible sometimes. But they also looked at pornography. And these guys, they can't tell the difference between those two chairs. Paul in Corinthians is going to put titles on this. He's going to say these are spiritual people. They're bound in the spirit. They're not perfect. But when they get leaning this way, man, they, they get it corrected pretty quick. And they are able to discern things of the spirit because they're spiritually minded. These guys, Paul will call carnal Christians. They're, they may well be believers. They're saved. They're going to heaven. But they're living in the flesh. And then this generation are natural. That is, they're not supernatural. They just do not have the influence, the Holy Spirit inside their lives at all. Now probably right now, you know exactly what chair you're sitting in. I rewatched this video about two weeks ago. Man, I tell you, I, had, I just wept by my couch because I knew where I was. And the solution to all this is you've got to get rid of this chair. You can't go from here to here. You've got to go from here to here. And men, I'm going to ask you today, get out of that chair. But you will never do it until you come to hate that chair. You've got to hate it. If you're comfortable with it, nothing's going to happen today. You've got to hate this chair. In order to be bound in the Spirit and to be effective in serving God in humility and teaching and sharing the gospel with those innocent who come in our path. Not innocent of their sin, but innocent having heard salvation. Does that make sense? We've got a few of you in this chair. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You've seen those kinds of people, seen those kinds of churches. But God's got you here for some reason. And in your program, there's a little sample prayer, and I just want to invite you to take a look at that. It's on the inside flap. If you're sincere and you'd like to repent of your sin and ask Christ as your Savior... You can say a prayer like that. There's nothing magical about it. But if that's the desire of your heart, you can come into this situation and begin to understand what it means to be bound in the Spirit of God. Serving the Lord in humility. Teaching the truth of the gospel. Fully devoted to the kingdom of God. To guard yourselves first. And also your family. To live daily in the word. And to make material goods serve the purposes of God. I'm going to say a prayer. And 